Knock, knock. Who's there? Lee Store. Lee Store who? Lee Store, entrepreneur extraordinaire and founder of BioSolar, a multi-million dollar business that relies 100% on door-to-door selling. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) Bring it on. Bring it on. Welcome to the Small Business Big Marketing Show, where successful small business owners share their secrets to take your marketing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Tim Reid. G'day, motivated business owner. It is Timbo Reid here. Oh, and that, by the way, was my beautiful daughter, Stephanie, in the Knock Knock intro. Gotta love uh, introducing a little bit of family into the show. Welcome back anyway to another episode of the world's number one small business marketing show, a show laser focused on helping you grow a business you love through some very, very smart marketing. To that end, let's get stuck in to some marketing G-O-L-D. Small Business Big Marketing with Tim Reid. Now, just yesterday, I received some feedback from listener Husky Lee on last week's interview with the founder of custom pram maker, Rosie Baby. The feedback read, Great interview, Timbo. I felt Rosie Baby's PR strategy was a great move. Do you think PR as a strategy will really start to come into its own and gain greater traction, given that publishers everywhere are needing more content? Very good question, Husky. Now, whilst I don't think PR is about to hit a new purple patch in its evolution, I do think that many businesses are underdoing it or actually getting it wrong. Too many are still trying to get articles in magazines, mentions on radio shows or segments on the local TV news. Now, I fully get their logic. You know, these mediums are read, listened to and watched by tens of thousands, in some case hundreds of thousands, if not millions of punters. But I would also argue that these numbers are, on the whole, on the decline. Plus, the advent of the second and third screen has meant that the TV show viewer, for example, is no longer fully engaged in what they're watching. I think the big publicity opportunity lies in businesses targeting podcasters, bloggers, and video marketers. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Whilst our audiences may be smaller, certainly in my experience, they're a hell of a lot more engaged, and they invest a whole lot more time in consuming our content. Think about it. As a listener of this show, you've actively sought it out. You've downloaded it to your smart device and have now chosen to allocate time to tune in. Many of you even leave comments on the show notes, email me directly, Tim at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, by the way, or hit me up on Facebook. And I do the same with bloggers I read, the podcasters I listen to, and the video guys I watch. I truly value what they have to say. So it begs the question, why aren't more businesses, including these modern marketing channels, on their PR hit list? I'm guessing because it's perceived as being too much like hard work for little reward. How wrong they are. In the five-year history of this show, I've been sent a box of coconut water to review. Yep, coconut water. A load of books from publishers to read 
and my highlight, <laughs> an all-expenses-paid media junket down to the V8 supercars in Tasmania, where Microsoft launched their Office 360 product to some influential bloggers and podcasters. Good on you, Microsoft. Now, that is smart marketing. So, my advice is this. If you're running a publicity strategy, then don't just chase the big guys. There's a whole lot of us little guys with very loyal audiences. Tribes, in fact. On that point, Range Rover, if you're listening, I'd be more than happy to review the new Evoque. Emirates? Sure. I'll road test your new first-class cabins. And Ralph Lauren, you want to see how I look in the new winter range? Happy days. That email again, tim at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Alrighty, now as always, there is plenty of marketing gold in today's show. Shortly, I'll be having a fireside chat about one of the scariest marketing strategies in the world, I reckon, that being door-to-door selling with BioSolar's founder, Lee Store. But first, let me tell you about how our good friends at NetRegistry can help you crank out some great online marketing with their keyword strategy service. For just $99, that's $99 Australian, by the way, overseas listeners. That's an exclusive price for listeners for this show only. NetRegistry will identify up to 25 keywords your business should be focusing on in your website. They'll then provide you with a keyword placement report showing you where your site currently stands on the various search engines and then provide you with a 20-minute one-on-one consultation providing you with some solid advice on how to improve your rankings. Give NetRegistry a buzz today on 1-300-638-734 and tell them Timbo sent you. Time for today's fireside chat. It is with founder of the multi-million dollar solar panel installation business called BioSolar. Now, his name is Lee Store. Lee is a very interesting character who started his first business. And it was a serious business too, by the way. It wasn't just trade and footy cards. He started his first business at the age of 14. He's now an old fella. He's 31 and has a number of successful businesses behind him. His current one being BioSolar, which relies 100% on door-to-door sales for its marketing. I find that absolutely fascinating because it is a scary strategy. So we have a good talk about that. And I started off by explaining to Lee how I found him. Now, mate, I put a text out to a joint friend of ours, Brad Smith, who's a past guest of this show, saying, hey, Smitty, who should I get on the show next? <laughs> and this is what he wrote back, Lee. He said, yeah. you've got to get this Lee bloke from BioSolar on the, on, the, on the blower. He said, I said, yeah, okay. So then I texted him back and said, what do I ask him about? Why would I get him on the show? And Brad, and by the way, listeners, Brad's from BRAP. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back into the archives and have a listen. But he says, ask Lee about his high school business. Ask about door knocking, his measurement systems, and most importantly, this guy is the gun. Absolute <laughs> legend of sales. Ask yeah. about sales process, bundling, upselling, and payment plans. I will listen. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, the pressure's on. Uh, certainly is if he puts it up like that. So, <laughs> well, uh, to, to that end, my first question is: You are a man of many talents, Lee. What's your superpower? Superpower, um, probably massive activity, uh, massive action. 
Interesting. Uh, no specific superpower is uh, just putting things into motion. Was, when I hear that, and, and I actually, one of the const, one of the connectors between all the people that I've had come on this show has been their ability to take action. Um, do you believe any action's good, or that you've got to take the right action? Uh, you got to take the right action. Uh, my sort of uh, main thing that I train into salespeople is just just pretty much the golden rule: activity times skill equals result. Is if you don't go to work on both of those areas, is um, uh, if you just take massive action without developing your skill and uh, your approach to things, is you just got a motivated idiot. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure you balance out the two. And if you got to work in both areas, massive action with uh, massive applied um, uh, skill, then you're going to get a significant result. Yeah, that's pretty clear. So, Lee, let's go way back, mate. Year eight. Tell us about that first business you had in high school. First business. Uh, it's coming back a bit. I was 14 years old when I started it. Um, I went to. Um, I grew up in country Victoria, and I went to an underage sort of uh, disco band event. Uh, There's about 400 people there out in a small country town outside of where I lived. And friends that were from the farming community sort of invited me over, and I thought it was the best thing ever. And I thought if only everyone in uh, the town that I was from really knew about this. So straight away I thought, uh, well, there's 400 people here. If everyone I knew and the people from the town knew about it and there's some buses coming out here, uh, we could probably get more than that out here. And there's a few things that they they did on the night that I thought could be improved as well. And... um, so I just organised an event. So eight weeks later, I had the first event. Um, what kind I of an had, event? Uh, so it was um, had a DJ there as well as some bands, so some local bands, sort of a battle of the bands competition. And you're 14. Uh, yeah, I was 14, and uh, I basically dropped a pin where that uh, town was with the town hall that it was going to be in. Uh, drew pretty much a 100-kilometre radius around it. I thought I'm going to... Uh, bring all the kids from that area in and I organised 10 buses to pick up at the different towns around the place um, organised the bands the, the entertainment on the night security guards and um, the challenge was I was 14 and uh, you get this kid organising this event a uh, kid with no money and so I, I put on a deep voice over the phone and uh, negotiated it all by phone organised buses organised uh, security I uh, told them all that I'd pay them on the night uh, with just full expectation that I'd get enough people there to uh, pay the door entry to uh, pay everyone out of the night. Otherwise, it would have been pretty interesting. <laughs> so it worked. Uh, I think that first event um, had about 800 uh, people there and it was fantastic. Everyone had a ball and for the next four years, uh, about every eight weeks, I ran another one of those events and it kept building to the point. Um, one of the last events I had there was... Uh, so I bought a lot of the top bands um, in Australia over the time down in southwest Victoria. Mm-hmm. And we had about 1,500 people at the last event with um, a small riot out the front of about 500 people because the uh, venue was at capacity and they all wanted in, but they couldn't get in and police were called. And so it was a, it was a positive but a negative at the same time. So you, four years and one of these events every eight weeks? Pretty much. Mate, that's a, that's a massive effort, and 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 so from the age of about fourteen to eighteen, parents obviously supportive. Uh, parents uh, parents aren't from a business background and don't really understand it. Mm. Uh, my mum just sort of saw what happens if it doesn't work, uh, so I told her, "Well, it's going to work, so stop stressing about things." Indeed. Um, yeah, but her comments were, "Is I don't have the money if it uh, if it doesn't work," and I just kept telling her, "Well, it will work." So, uh, it's true. You got a letter that. home from the teacher. What, what uh, saying something to the effect of, "I've never seen a person of this age with so much money." 
Uh, that was, uh, I think, year 11, we went on a school trip um, up to Queensland. We did an East Coast trip um, with the school. Uh, every year they do that for the year 11 students. And I think the amount of money that I spent on that trip as a teenager going on all the uh, all the different adventures and things like that, the comment a teacher made to my mum is I've never seen a, a kid spend or have so much money at that age on, on the trips. <laughs> So it was, it was good fun. It was um, it certainly uh, it was good in high school. What, what, not... what, was, what was your big learning? That's that's a very formative um, thing that you've done during mm. you know, fourteen to eighteen years old. What's your biggest? And it clearly set you up to do whatever you've done with BioSolar. What was your big takeout from all that? Uh, just thinking different, really, differently. Really, is looking at opportunities, uh, looking to think where things can be improved, um, and then and then just purely taking action. What do, you, what do you mean look at things differently? I think basic trait of uh, entrepreneurs looking at uh, situations, looking at businesses, environments, um, and looking at uh, where there's opportunities where either things aren't being done or where things can be done better. And where you see that uh, there's a need for that, um, you take action in that area and uh, that's how you, I guess, seed or create a business or an opportunity. There's a, I reckon there's another step to that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's then having the courage of your convictions. Absolutely, backing yourself 100% and, and just going for it. Mm-hmm. Do you do that on a gut instinct or do you go off and research something to the uh, within an inch of its life? Uh, no, gut instinct majority of the time. Usually if you research it to an uh, inch of its life, is, uh, you don't end up putting it into motion. And one, one, of, the, one of my favorite comments is a, is a guy, uh, Dan Godin, I hope I've pronounced that right, uh, former head of NASA, and I had a. Um, I was lucky enough to be at a business conference uh, networking event over in Los Angeles uh, last year, and he was a keynote speaker. And I grabbed him afterwards and I asked him, um, with literally the smartest people in the world, or the rocket scientists and mathematicians, and the tens of thousands of brilliant people at NASA, is as the head of NASA, what percentage of your decisions were made? at the end of the day on your intuitive feeling on the situation or on just the hard stats and um, data. And so at the end of the day, you've always got to make a call as a leader and probably 75% of it, once receiving all the data, was what, what was intuitive. Mm-hmm. So but he did get a lot of data. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he said a lot of those big decisions is, um, is you've just got to make a decision and uh, back yourself at the end of the day. It's, it's not conclusive and you go for it. It's a bit like that Malcolm Gladwell book called Blink, which could have been written in a page, but it's about a 250-page book. But it basically says when you're confronted with an opportunity or an idea or, or, or something, you, you, you know within a blink of an eyelid whether it's the real deal or whether it's right or whether it's wrong for you. Yep, I agree 100% with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's also reassuring, mate, because I do also operate off the gut instinct, and I've got a couple of mates who are highly considered. <laughs> and sometimes I feel myself going, geez, I wish I was like them. But then I think, no, nah, you know what? I enjoy operating from the gut. Yeah, I often find when I don't trust that, and yep. that's where, where decisions are made that um, aren't the most appropriate or the best decision. Lee, just fill us in between. Um, you, you've left school at the age of 18. It sounds like the, the, the whole that the band thing, the event thing came to an end and there's a, you started BioSolar a few years down the track. What did you do between leaving school and starting BioSolar? Oh, there's quite a lot of work in between. <laughs> Is it? 
Yeah, significant. So I sort of uh, left the country to go down to Melbourne and do a Bachelor of Business Entrepreneurship. Yep. Um, I thought that was uh, going to everything to become a, a real business person. God, isn't uh, that interesting? You've just done your bachelor between the ages of 14 and 18 to, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I found the course. Is, we were the first year through the course and um, is, I, I knew sort of a couple of years uh, out from the course that I was guaranteed entry into it because one of the lecturers was uh, based down in Warrnambool where I lived. And as he was designing the course, he uh, modelled, um, I guess, what I was doing as a entry sort of student of the target people that they'd uh, like to enroll in the course so that uh, gave me a bit of a lazy work ethic through VCE as uh, I knew that I had a guaranteed entry almost yep, yep. Um, but I, I found the course was a little bit too constrained to the traditional university model and entrepreneurship really is is um, practical application and uh, learning in your field and um, a lot of that stuff really can't be taught um, and I found majority of my learning is through self-education. I spent a lot of money on self-education. Like uh, what? You're talking like uh, personal development stuff or into acad- yeah. academia? No, absolutely personal development. Anything from uh, Tony Robbins through all your sales courses, um, seminars, books, audios, um, some mentorships and uh, flying all over the world doing some things like that. Yep. So I find that sort of stuff um, is a lot more advanced than um, – I guess standard curriculum in university courses, even though it was a new course. Do you are you very selective about what you choose to do from a personal development point of view, or do you just really kind of try all sorts of stuff? Uh, I guess selective based on where I'm at in, in life at that point of time, what uh, what it is that I'm needing or wanting to expand upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so far as a range of things, uh, everything from from health right through to sort of advanced sales and business. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've, you've done your course, you've done a whole lot of personal development. Was there any particular business that you, did you go and work for? Have you ever worked for someone? Uh, only through the university days and through a little bit of high school, just some casual jobs. Just um, I just Enough I, to know it wasn't for you? Yeah, enough to know it wasn't for me. Yeah. No. So but, what business did you start out of coming out of uni? Well, interestingly, the university course I didn't actually finish. Yeah, I thought, I thought that would be the case. All the way through and I'd done all the core curriculum courses and I had the option to pass is I had uh, I had to do two contextual subjects and I had the uh, options out of things like uh, black holes and the origin of the universe or lesbians in society. And well, to spend six months studying any of these is it's not an area of interest. It's not an area that's going to contribute to everything. I don't need the piece of paper. No one's ever going to look at that. Um, I've got what I wanted out of it and uh, on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but through sort of the end of uh, university, I got into a sales jobs. Um, one of the one of the key um, lessons I learned from one of the big takeaways from entrepreneurship was a guest speaker that we had in, and he said the the number one skill as an entrepreneur that you can have is sales. And I happened to be listening to Tony Robbins at the time, and he was talking about uh, sales as well. Mm-hmm. And so I thought um, I was approached by a friend at the same time that had just got a door to door sales job for an energy company. Ah thought summer break i'm going to uh spend six weeks learn and master this sales and then back to the real business um i pretty pretty quickly realized that sales is business nothing happens to the sale is made mm-hmm. you master that front end of the business and then fulfillment secondary to that so the next two years i spent working for other sales companies um mm-hmm. growing developing teams and because i went into it for a different reason to others i went into i guess learn and refine the skill rather than just go in as a job or just to make money mm-hmm. 
what I quickly found is uh, applying the skill is it was very easy to become the top sales rep in the organisation in a short period of time. So with so, that... Okay, so what, what skill? What are you talking about there? You've gone and applied what skill? Yeah, the skills of sales and influence and um, so education-based selling. Okay, so you've gone there. So you spent two years door knocking, selling uh, in what? What was it? Solar panels, or what were you selling? No, this was energy retail churn. So from one energy retail, yeah, right, move them across into another. Yeah, so I focus on the green space, which is an area of interest and a, I guess, a point of differentiation for um, a product and for sales. Yep. So moving customers from one energy retailer to a retailer that was using green power. Um, many instances they pay more for that or that was their incentive to move across a percentage green power at the same price. So were you going door knocking, not really, you're not as much focusing on selling of the product, although that was what you needed to do to earn a coin, but you were, you were practicing what you were learning and what you were teaching yourself about selling. And, and so every, the, the next door you would knock on, you'd try something different and test and split test and retest things, yeah? Yeah, just constant refinement. Constant uh, refinement. Yeah, so I guess uh, we were doing sort of six days a week, um, 10 to 12 hours a day, and eight, eight hours a day was on field. Wow. Uh, two years, I, I didn't have a day off in that time, so it was a massive application of, um, of, of the skill that I uh, was learning and developing. Well, so- let's talk that, because if there's one thing Brad Smith did say, and I said, what's the one thing I should talk to Lee about? It was sales. So, uh, And I know it's one of those things that, you know, it does trouble a lot of small business owners, whether it be cold calling or, or just, just selling what they've got. So uh, where do you start with that? What's your greatest insight, I guess, from those two years of cold calling? Greatest insight for two years of, uh, of cold calling. Well, we've been doing door-to-door since then as well, so that's a key part of yes. uh, business strategies. But uh, key insights is, uh, is turning up. Mm-hmm. Is you'll, You've only got an opportunity to close a deal if you're actually there. And I find in any given market, if you take the most action and you put yourself in front of a customer with their um, complete attention, is every day of the week is you're going to um, outsell your competitors. Mm-hmm. So that's where I find door-to-door really effective is one is it's you can control your geographic area that you're targeting. Um, two, you can just take massive action. If you've got 10,000 homes in a suburb, you can go and knock on every one of those doors and you get a binary outcome as a result is either they bought your product or they didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't go to the next door. So you can really saturate an area um, get a good result out of it. It's the rawest form, isn't it? Because, you know, at least on the phone you can hide. <laughs> I remember Smitty saying, you know, for their, their cold calling from Brap, they all put on wigs, mullet wigs and Ray-Ban sunglasses. <laughs> so, But when you're door-to-door, you are face-to-face with that client so they can see you and read you and get a whole sense of where you're at. Um, and from, I would have thought one of the biggest issues there would be rejection. Um, how do you deal with rejection? Yeah, absolutely. Um, ideally, you don't get much rejection if you're good at what you're doing, but uh, it's always a part of it. And uh, traditionally, door-to-door is you're going to get far more rejection than you're going to get success. Um, so I, I think certainly door-to-door sales, because as you said, is you're right there in front of them. There's nowhere to hide. You can't put a, on a different personality uh, so much in front of a customer as you can over the phone or mm-hmm. um, there's no face-to-face rejection. And um, I guess the most pronounced example of that I've had is um, – I had a, a young English backpacker that uh, came and worked for us at one point, and on her first day, she wrote 11 out of 12 contacts, which she just destroyed anyone else in the team for conversion rate, and she quit that evening because she couldn't handle the rejection because one person said no. Golden. 
Um, and that was this pretty girl that probably no one's ever said no to her in her life. Mm. And that's the most pronounced example of uh, not being able to handle rejection. One out of 12 said no. Wow. So what's your advice to someone listening who's going, well, I, I just really got to ramp up my selling skills, but I am scared of rejection? Um. Well, you, you just got to get comfortable with it. You got to get used to it. It's a natural part of it. And so you've got to understand at the end of the day, as people do call it a numbers game, and you've got to um, take out a bit of the emotion in that process and um, work on making every interaction a positive interaction. Mm-hmm. If you're giving a rejection and taking that as negative, it's going to carry through on your mindset to the next customer, and that's going to affect your ability to sell to the next customer. Mm-hmm. So you've got to um, make the most and a positive out of every single situation, learn from it and adjust and keep refining forward for a positive result. Yep. Um, but you've also got to sit back and not look at the individual outcome. You've got to look at your statistics over a day, a week, a month, a year. depends on the sales cycle that you've got. Um, and if you're outside of statistical, um, I guess, norm on an extended period, that's where you really need to make big adjustments. But going to an individual customer and expecting them to say yes and they say no and getting really upset about that, because it's not about the individual customers, it's about your numbers across a, a day, week, month. Yeah, okay. Don't get too micro with it. You must have some funny stories from knocking on all those doors, Lee. Oh, there's plenty. There's plenty of funny stories on the doors. Uh, every day is interesting. You're going into people's homes. You see all sides of life. Anyone stand out in particular? Uh, anyone stand out? Uh, oh, there's everything from hoarders to uh, completely uh, eccentric and uh, psychotic people and the whole lot. But I guess one of the standouts is this uh, lovely old couple is uh, knocked on the door and he's uh, swung the door open with his arms outstretched and just said, welcome to my castle, come in. <laughs> and just started walking off towards the lounge room. And I've gone in and uh, his wife's just as fantastic and I thought this is all a bit strange and uh, I came in anyway and uh, the nicest old couple and completely supportive of Green Power and right into it and they were, they were clear as day, understood everything, it was a great conversation and then I asked for their electricity bill to progress it forward and the wife goes off and she goes into the kitchen to find it. Um, I'm hearing all these tins shaking and stuff like this and I thought something's not right and and she's come out and she's asked for some help. She's going, come on, mate. yeah, come and help me. And uh, the husband gets up and she's going into the kitchen and, and they've flushed at me and I thought, this is just a big joke. And uh, she's opening cupboards and shaking tins and uh, she points to, the, points to the fridge and she goes, you check in there. <laughs> and they're like, what is going on? And then she looks at me with this just complete blank stare and she goes, I'm sorry, my dear, what was it you were looking for? And I said, your electricity bill. And she goes, oh, I thought you wanted some food. <laughs> Hearing disorder. No, 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 they both had um, they both had Alzheimer's. I think oh, it is. bless them. As soon as the situation changes, they were completely attentive. And whilst you've got their attention, but as soon as they, ah, uh, yeah, is just no recollection of the conversation. Essentially, now you listen. You off the back of that, there must have been a time where you say you're working for an energy company. You realised you're good at selling. You obviously saw a need in the marketplace for solar energy. Where'd the idea come from for biosolar? Ah, uh, well. That's still quite a way down the track. Um, so through that couple of years of door to door, as I was um, running and building teams for other companies, um, I then decided to start my own uh, company. I took on a contract with an energy retailer, um, put in place my own infrastructure, and within 12 months had about 160 sales staff uh, doing sales for an energy retailer. So built and grew that quite um, quickly, and uh, well, we had a great uh, company. But um, unfortunately, after about two years, I walked away from that business. Um, was having some clashes with a business partner at the time, mm-hmm. um, 
so I walked away and started what again. Kind of clash, what kind of clashes? Uh, just at the time, sort of, um, uh, what would you call it? sort of integrity values. Um, I find once you get momentum in a business, it fuels uh, all the underlying characteristics of an individual and greed. Um, yeah, there's greed, there's uh, things like that. Um, I'm still friends with a guy now, and you probably wouldn't mind me saying, but uh, severe ADHD, and uh, our business had ADHD as well. Right. And um, I found out I'd be onboarding people, training, motivating, getting them going, and uh, he could irritate people as well. And But I, I referred to him at the time as the walking liability and that you couldn't control what he'd say or do, and neither could he. Yeah, so, right. Perspective, you've got to be sustainable going forward and you can be with a client and uh, you can control what was going to be said. So uh, when you've only got one client and you're reliant on them for 100% of your um, income coming into the business, um, although you've got to manage the relationship, you've got to be very um, mindful of how you're managing it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up um, starting again a company on my own, um, built that back over to about 150 staff, um, and that was going fantastic. We were doing two to two and a half thousand sales per week for energy retail. There's a large percentage of the, the national churn at the time, and um, everything was great. It was in complete control of the company. It was growing, um, compounding every single month. Um, I was 24 years old, got to the point where I'm making forty, fifty thousand dollars a week off the business and uh, just opened some offices in Queensland, fit out um, the Shell Warehouse into, um, spent 300000 fitting it out into really nice um, offices for the guys. And the day that we had the opening office party, the, the CEO and the national manager flew up and um, axed the contract. Nice. Yeah, big learning lesson there for me and, and the takeaway was that um, I knew 100% of what was going on in my business, but I was um, unaware of uh, some of the factors that were affecting the, the macro market. Mm-hmm. So the wholesale, where the government committed to protecting retail prices after deregulating the Queensland market, uh, the wholesale price actually exceeded retail for a period of time that year. Mate, tell us about that day. Tell us about uh, they flew up. Did you know why they were flying up? Um, once they sort of said who was coming up, I, I had an indication that uh, this is a wasn't wasn't to join in the celebrations mm-hmm. of the open. Um, so I had I had some reservations. Um, I've got an I guess an extremely uh, large stress tolerance or stress gap. Mm-hmm. It's uh, look at everything as uh, my common response to uh, major things like that is uh, isn't that interesting and. Um, <laughs> Look at uh, what else it means and uh, how to go about it. So they arrive, they give you the news. I imagine it was a relatively quick meeting. Uh, yeah, it was reasonably quick, uh, reasonably quick, reasonably direct. Um, rather than just completely axing the contract and causing a lawsuit, is they uh, there's a loophole in the contract and they just reduced the target down to a fixed uh, fifty sales per week, so from two two and a half thousand to fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, you get one hundred and fifty staff that you're uh, operating with and fixed overheads and. Went from making forty, fifty thousand a week down to losing fifteen, twenty thousand a week, and sustaining that as long as I could. Whilst they promised that uh, they'd be back up and uh, opening sales again in six weeks, which turned into twelve weeks, which continued out. And six months later, I pulled the pin on it. How much did you do? Uh, ended up uh, probably losing more than I put into it, and ended up with uh, personal guarantees of about one point two. Right. Um, and took accountability for all of those. I learned to negotiate very strongly in that period and uh, I guess when you've got nothing to lose and um, all the intentions to to make good on the situation and move forward. Here they uh, come now, mate. I can hear them coming to get you in the yes. background. <laughs> <laughs> the siren. Did you, um, you obviously, you got a high tolerance for stress, but was there a point where you kind of almost like lost the plot? Uh 
Not really. Uh, there's times of increased stress, of course, and um, at times of questioning things. But I think building businesses and uh, rapid growth and um, doing them all from bootstrap startups is stress is a part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get too involved, and it's just going to uh, eat you alive. Now, many people would have experienced that, Lee, and gone, you know what, I think I'll just back it off now. But uh, you've clearly gone and bounced back again. And I'm getting, I'm guessing we're getting close to BioSolar's launch. You've gone, no, I'll just, I'll just start another big business. Yeah, so, so get in there. Um, so I guess 1.2 million, as I looked at that as, uh, well, that's a manageable, serviceable uh, debt. Yeah, I learned some lessons uh, with personal guarantees there and that um, when someone's doing business with a company rather than business with an individual, if uh, the business doesn't work and that's the risk that they're taking on as well, mm-hmm. is that um, an individual um, making good on those from a revenue or a, a serviceability point of view is very difficult. So when you've got, uh, uh, I guess, landlords wanting to crystallize an entire rental period and put that on the pile. Um, it's very difficult to, to manage that. Mm-hmm. And um, I negotiated with all of them. I told them all that, look, this is the situation is um, after the last six months is there's no money there. Uh, I've got full commitment to repaying these and um, I'm a capable business person and um, I'll get back up and going and service these debts. But uh, let me be clear is that right now there's nothing there. So if you push it too far, there'll be nothing to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, work with me except a uh, minimum payment per month which I can manage at the moment um, as a token of goodwill and then as I'm back on my feet and uh, getting momentum is I'll um, take care of all of it um, for you but work with me on this and uh, they're all supported there's I think 12 uh, 12 different personal guarantees mm-hmm. uh, they're all supportive except one who hit my credit file and and I said to him as I said look that's, that's really the only point of leverage in the situation that you had is that I'm doing this to repay everyone and uh, the only way I can do that is by being in business so I've got to protect my credit file and that was one of the terms of uh, the negotiation I guess you call it um, you've now damaged the ability for me to recover the money for everyone. So unfortunately, as I said, you're now at the bottom of the list and once I've paid everyone else off is I'll, I'll get around and I'll pay you off. How'd that uh, go down? I shouldn't like it. Uh, I was operating on behalf of a bank and yet she she accepted it and I, I said, look, you can push it as hard as you like and I'll take it right through and uh, until you get a settlement I'll then negotiate and you'll get less than what you're asking for in the first place. Good on so, you. So now you've got to be patient. Uh, it became an example to the others, um, and, and I made good on it all. Um, so it was a process there that um, took a situation for what it was, communicated it for what it was, uh, worked with them, and um, recovered that. So a positive outcome all around. But rather than sitting on the sidelines for a period of time, um, having thrown in the cards, is got back up, ran even faster, built another business, um, recovered all of that, and then uh, moved positively forward. And is that when you started Biosolar? Excuse me. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just conscious of time. These these episodes generally only go for 24 hours. So at that point, I started again, and uh, just the, the timing was there. I, I knew how to build a direct sales uh, force, uh, looking at what to do next. The market is solar, being uh, selling large-scale renewables was always my end vision. Is That's where I wanted to naturally progress towards small-scale renewables. Uh, the market wasn't quite ready for it yet, but the, the government announced the insulation scheme. Um, so that was interesting. I looked at that, that sh- scheme. I thought, it's taxpayers' money. It's a, it's a very um, public uh, campaign. Is This is going to be very strongly regulated and audited, which is fantastic. They're not going to let just anyone do it. So 
identified the same sort of compliance and structure that we uh, developed in the energy retail market, which is probably the most highly regulated at that time uh, from a sales market, and applied it to um, to insulation, and that became our point of difference, our quality control and our compliance, a six-step installation process that guaranteed the customer a safe and compliant install. Um, and we, we did fantastically well out of it. Got to the point where we're installing four, five hundred systems per week, or not systems, uh, insulations per week. Uh, finally got a breather out of all of that. Um, I took a week overseas with my fiance once the business was up. Um, again, we had about 140, 150 staff going. And the last day of the holiday, the government uh, pulled the pulled the pin on the insulation rebate. So I came back to uh, un- unwinding all of that, and uh, several months later, I uh, started the process to start biosolar. Aha. Uh-huh. So that brings us to there. So it's been a, uh, a lot of hours, a lot of work, a lot of uh, building and um, managing businesses. What do, you uh, love, what do you most love about it, Lee? Uh, I guess um, oh, I could probably sum it up in one of my uh, personal experiences probably um, about six months ago is um, I was down on the Gold Coast and I was driving up to Tambourine Mountain and it's something that I've done sort of every every couple of months for the last few years, head up there every now and then into the bush and I noticed um, a significant increase in the number of solar systems that have been installed um, up the main road up there and I thought, geez, there's some fantastic looking systems, I wonder who installed those. Um, and then I saw some of the, the commissioning reports coming through the next uh, the next week, and I saw all these Tambourine Mountain um, installations that were done. So I checked the uh, the map, and the, that all been done by um, by Biosolar. So it was really interesting to see the manifestation of um, an idea where it was uh, at one point um, just a, just an idea in my head to um, there's activity and there's results that uh, someone's got a system on the roof that they've purchased through a sales rep, they're saving money, they're reducing pollution, and I, I've had zero involvement in the facilitation of that, yet there it is. Yeah, that's so- fantastic. Seeing something get its own momentum and um, become, a, I guess, a, a living, breathing thing of its own and yeah. the result of that and uh, seeing the success of, uh, successes of all the, the staff um, that go through that process and grow as individuals, the learning process that we put in, um, I really build in a lot of, um, I guess, my personality and my journey into um, what we build out for the staff and the culture and the learning processes. How do you do that? Because I've always always interests me because, you know, you see some people start small businesses and really they're injecting their own personality, their own values, their own vision, and that's why generally the business becomes successful because it's their baby and they see exactly how they want it to develop. But then when they start to put on staff, 10, 20, 50, in your case, 150 staff, how do you then get your vision and your beliefs and your set of values and your personality across into those people so that they can carry the flame as well? Mm. So everything starts with recruitment. So onboarding the right people to fit the culture, uh, the training processes that they go through. Um, but in order to get the right people as well as you want to you set up your, your business operating environment for a specific cultural outcome. Um, and from... I guess from an energy perspective is at the end of the day, sales is a transference of emotion and energy. So the more emotion, the more passion, the more enthusiasm that an individual has, the better the results and then the better the results for the business. So everything, if uh, I'd love to have you up to our offices in Queensland, I can actually show you one time, but um, the door there is, is, is a real open environment and so much energy in there. We've got a, a raw food cafe in there that my fiance runs. Uh, we've got a staff, uh, small staff gym. There's a, a cinema that comes down um, every every week or two. 
Uh, I've got a yoga studio out the back as well that my fiance runs as well. Um, but everything is designed there to give staff uh, maximum satisfaction, interest, look forward to coming to work and create that energy on a both a fundamental level of you know, better the quality of the food that you have, the, the better the energy you have and um, more you're enjoying things as well and your, your fitness exercise. It sounds very Google. Yeah, well, we've actually been called Google of the Gabba so far as our offices in Wool and Gabba. Um, it was interesting. Uh, we had Kevin Rudd open the offices there, and he said he's seen companies like this overseas, but not in Australia. So it's a good comment to have uh, coming from him. Well, tell me, I've, I've noticed that. I watched a video with the opening of your offices. How, how, um, how do you get the Prime Minister to the opening of your business? He was actually in between Prime Ministerships at the time. So uh, he was less important. Yeah, it's about a month away from the second run. Uh, he may not have had a lot to do, um, but uh, he's, he's also our local um, local seat. So that was quite good. And it was also timely. It was um, uh, Solo was um, part of their um, commitments. Uh, they put the um, incentives in place. So it was uh, topical and timely. Um, Inconvenient, I guess. Now, you've also had, uh, I think it was on the same video, it might have been a separate video, you had Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, who I'm trying to get on this show, by the way. How did you get, you had him attend an event at your offices? Yeah, yeah. So a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Burnett, uh, down in Sydney, he runs um, EmpowerNet and uh, does a lot of the uh, uh, speakers around around Australia. I'm sure, sure you know of him as well. Mm-hmm. And he, he brought Jordan Belfort over um, on his first tour over and suggested that uh, we might uh, private contract him one day. And that first trip, uh, the first time in Australia for Jordan is, uh, this was just when I was starting the business, had no staff yet. I was just putting together the, um, the processes and uh, sales processes. Mm-hmm. I said to Jordan, I'd love to have you um, come speak to the salespeople one day once once it's up and going and um and then two years later uh we had about 150 people attend the event um brought him up here hired him for the day and um got a big meeting room down the road at the gabba and it was fantastic um he i guess you could look at two sides to jordan belfort's um one is the i guess uh, the negative side and everything that happened. Um, but if you look at anyone that's built a business to understand what it takes even just to get a 1,000 people um, employed and operating at a high level, um, it takes a lot of systems process and genuine influence there. Now, you've got to take a side as uh, there's a lot of unethical influence and a lot of unethical sales practices. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you strip it back and you just look at it for what it was and take what you value out of it and separate the rest is there's a lot of really good quality information there so he's got this um straight line sales process which he's coming back out to australia to talk about yeah is that what he kind of shared with your staff yeah the straight line sales process um and a lot of his other um sales teachings there um it it really it it really simplifies it for the guys and that's uh where he was able to take anyone um 18 years old straight out of college and um train them to be a million dollar a year stockbroker was he was it worthwhile getting him absolutely 100 percent. yeah so he's he's a really interesting guy uh very charismatic uh very interesting with his stories uh the movie sort of says half of it um great book great book Great book. The book goes deeper again, and uh, yes, it, it is fantastic. Is like I said, you got to take it for what it is, and you got to look at um, both sides and weigh up um, what you take from it. Mate, I imagine that would have been a big investment. Do you continue to invest heavily in your staff beyond the raw food cafe and the, the the yoga and all that type of stuff? Do you continue to provide personal development, and if so, what? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the way I look at um, recruiting and developing and retaining staff is five key areas. Is one is the, the financial side, of course. Um, another one is fun, so creating the right environment for the for the team. Uh, they've got to look forward to coming to work and investing what they're doing. Uh, another one is growth and progression, and that's both personally and professionally. So you've got to deliberately build that out within your organization to attract the right people and retain the right people. The fourth area is meaning. If there's no meaning in what you're doing, it's not long-term uh, rewarding or stimulating. Um, if you're punching keys on a keyboard all day and that's that's all it is, you're just a cog in the wheel and uh, there's no, f- no meaning behind what you're actually doing other than data entry, you're not going to be satisfied. So we find uh, with the products um, chosen to do, you've, you've got the environmental side, you've got the, the charity side that we do as well, you've got the savings, you've got... Um, yeah, there's like we call one part of the social opportunity where the more we uh, do socially through some of our um, donations to Kiva and protecting rainforest and um, then reducing pollution through the the systems that we install and promoting all of that to the customer that adds more influence to the situation and helps that buying process means we're rewarded as a business as well and we can do more of that. So it's a social opportunity rather than a social um, responsibility, I see it, um, becomes a positive reinforcing cycle. Mm-hmm. So that's important in it uh, for, for staff uh, feeling engaged in the process but also for what we're doing as a business. And then the last area is balance. All work, no play, or if it's um, all work, no family life, um, it's not going to be long-term sustainable no matter how much money they're earning and what they're doing. Uh, people burn out. So go to work deliberately in those five areas and building them out as, um, as far as you can um, and investing in all those areas. So that comes from the activities that you do in your work, the training that you give to your staff, the systems and processes to make their life easier and their, their job more enjoyable. We had a previous guest on this show, Lee uh, Tristan from the Physio Co, the physio company, and he's um, I think he's like the workplace of choice behind Go- uh, behind Google and one other um, because of the kind of things he's doing like that. Have you found yourself getting nominated for such awards? It sounds like a great place to work. Yeah, we've just been focusing on what we do internally and just building it all out and setting ourselves up for, um, I guess, uh, national growth over the next uh, 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we haven't been too concerned around looking at the awards and yeah. uh, appreciation of those. Yeah, good on you. What's the best marketing? Just to wrap things up, what's the best marketing Biosolar does? Uh, well, we do all of our marketing door-to-door, incidentally. Um, so 100% door-to-door. So 100%. Yeah, we're doing about a million a week in um, sales and installations at the moment, and we do 100% of that through door-to-door lead generation. And is there any part of that? So you don't have any above-the-line advertising, where at least if you knock on the door and you say biosolar, people go, oh, yeah, I've heard you on the radio, or you do, do you do letterbox drops in the lead-up to door knocking or nothing like that? No, don't spend a cent on any of that. Fantastic. And the reason being is we want the captive attention of the customer. So general marketing psychology, you've got maybe a 10% of any um, percentage of a demographic are looking to buy a product at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, doors, we get to 100% of customers. Like I said, 10,000 doors, we knock on all of them. And we put the per- person at a point of action. So our lead generators or our door knockers set up an appointment for one of our consultants to come back for two hours of sit-down, um, 100% um, attention. And we take them through a full education-based process on um, quality, performance, warranty, the company, the whole lot. And it really is the most uh, thorough process and educational process. Um, so everything is built out um, with that customer experience and that delivering at the highest level we possibly can um, to provide the result that we're looking for. So are you uh, just to be clear there, you've got a call centre. They set up the leads. 
No. Uh, no? Set up elite. Um, so I've got about 80 guys and girls that uh, head out door-to-door on a daily basis. So we speak to about 20,000 people a week at their homes across the Brisbane metropolitan area, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, and then also down in Sydney. Um, they then set up the appointment. They call that back into the office, into our call center, and our call center is lead nurturing and um, uh, progressing sales to installations. So to complete an entire customer's purchase, there's about 14 touch points, and door-to-door is the very first touch point. There's then two phone calls through our contact center before the sales rep gets there. Um, highly trained sales reps, uh, they go in there and um, they spend two hours educating the customer and taking them through a full value proposition. Uh, we've got about a 50% um, average close rate on that um, sit-down consultation. And I guess to put that in perspective is we're certainly not the cheapest in the market as we're right up there uh, with the largest average size system in our market and at one of the highest prices. Um, but the amount of quality and value and systems and processes and everything that we put in there to substantiate and to give the results there to the customer because what they're really buying is a 30-year investment. So it's got to perform as they expect, otherwise they're not getting value. So in order to get that result um, at that level is you've got to have a very strong chain link system that increases the level of interest at every touch point. Love it. I love the fact that, that two hour, I mean, that's what, so once you get inside someone's house and do that two hour education, uh, educational, you've got a 50% conversion rate. And I'm, I'm guessing that educational is very much that it's not, there's a sell at the end, but you really are providing useful information for people to make an informed decision. Yeah, well, the sale should be a logical conclusion to an effective presentation. It should be a very low-resistance outcome. And we got um, we, we say we're not the cheapest on the market, nor will we ever be. And these are the reasons you wouldn't want us to be. Uh, but we are the highest uh, quality and um, we're one of the best value as well. And so far as affordability goes, is we're able to show you how to um, move money you're already spending from electricity to cover the cost of your solar through extended payment terms. Mm. We make high quality affordable to all Australians as part of uh, part of the presentation, I guess. Um, but you've really got to make, um, in order to affect a sale, you've got to make it a very low resistance purchase. And you've got to do that by building your product to what the customer is looking for and delivering the result that you're promising. Mate, you're as clear as you're, you are crystal clear. Given what you've done in your life, Lee, I'm guessing what, you'd be what, 68? Uh, 31. 31, yeah. <laughs> Good on you, mate. What's your next business? Uh, my next business is some extended travel after all of this, after right. uh, after Biosolar. So I've still got some years left in Biosolar yep. uh, to achieve what we want to achieve and what I set out to achieve, which is the, the national leader, and to actually get to a point where we're a genuine uh, disruption model in energy retail. And as a market, it's at that point, but where we're going next um, is it significantly accelerates the growth and um, really disrupts the market. Very early days by the sounds of it. Uh, not early days. Uh, a lot of uh, foundation work, a lot of um, a lot of process, a lot of meetings, and a lot, a lot of back end to get it to here. Uh, and now it's just injecting the last components. But we've we've gone full vertical integration. From we own um, we bought a contract manufacturer panels and inverters so that we can control the quality all the way through. Um, and one of our shareholders' businesses that we're looking at merging with shortly is um, an energy retailer. So we'll have full energy retail licenses and we'll be able to put systems on customers' roof where they pay nothing up front and they only pay for the energy it produces at a reduced rate that's fixed for an extended period of time and 100% green power. So it becomes a very low resistance, completely competitive to energy retail, but you're moving customers away for life from the retailers. Mm. 
Hey, Lee, I really appreciate you sharing all this, mate. It's a great story and well done so far. Uh, Maybe we can reconnect uh, down the track and see where you're at. But thanks for being part of Small Business Big Marketing. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Tim. It's been fantastic and I really enjoyed the conversation. What a good fella is that Lee Store. Now, before I give you my top three learnings from that fireside chat, I want to let you in on a little secret that smart business owners everywhere are onto. Have you got marketing materials lying around that need a little bit of love? Maybe the details on your business card need updating or your logo needs altering, or you'd like to change the colour of that yellow short shirt you accidentally wore in your profile shot. What were you thinking? No worries at all. That'll be $19 and it'll be done in one hour, thanks to Swiftly. Small design fixes fast. That is exactly how they roll. You simply upload your artwork that needs fixing, tell them what needs doing, and boom, one hour later and $19, it's done. Check them out at swiftly.com. That is S-W-I-F-T-L-Y dot com. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that fireside chat with Lee Store of BioSolar as much as I did bringing it to you. Plenty of marketing actions in there, I'm thinking. My top three, number one, take action. Do something. Uh, I loved Lee's little equation, activity times skill equals results. So, um, yeah, activity by itself, yeah, not so great. But when you add a level of skill to it and do the right activity, then you are going to see results. Number two, do some personal development to ramp up your skills. This has been a common, or it's been a yeah, common thread amongst recent interviews. A lot of the successful marketers that I come across are into personal development. You know, at its very least, and dare I say, join the forum. That is personal development in itself right there. There are so many motivated business owners in there. So head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com and join the forum. It's a dollar for the first seven days, so low risk. My number three tip from Lee's conversation, look at things differently. Is there something that you can be doing better or that can be done better or something that's not being done at all and do it? All right. So again, that's all about taking action. Loved talking to Lee. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd love to know what you got from it. Head over to the show notes at episode 188 on smallbusinessbigmarketing.com and let me know what you thought. All right, as we slowly draw towards the end of the show, two very quick things. Troy uh, Troy Wesley from Care Monkey, ex-Google employee. He was on episode 182. He's had some really interesting things happen since um, since he was on the show. Uh, he, got, uh, he got followed up. He mentioned a book called Slicing Pie that really helped him um, figure out the equity model in his business. And the author of that book has been getting all these emails saying, hey, you've been mentioned on the Small Business Big Marketing Show. So the author made contact with both me and uh, with Troy, which was very exciting because that author is all the way over in America. And another one, uh, Troy has got... uh, Troy's just been basically... I was going to read this. It's quite a long email. Suffice to say that Troy's been getting a lot of emails from people suggesting uh, ways that Troy can continue to grow his business, suggesting partnerships and joint venture opportunities, and it's all happening for Troy. And I'm seeing that more and more with um, with guests who appear on this show. They, they sort of come back to me weeks or months later and say, gosh, I didn't realize your show had so much reach, Timbo. 
Rainbow, but people are mentioning it uh, that they heard me on it left, right and centre. So that's great and uh, long live the podcast. Here is a bit of um, feedback from Maria Fernandez. Maria says, Maria's from Spanish-Bookworld.com. She says, hey, Timbo, I've just finished listening to your last show. Great episode. By the way, this is from the 17th of January, 2014. So as you can see, I'm a little bit behind in feedback, but we'll get there. Uh, Great episode. Thanks so much for your podcast. It's been a faithful companion for 12 months now. Very interesting. Faithful, Faithful companion. You see, again, we can create marketing like I'm doing here that becomes a faithful companion. Compare that to the ad or the brochure that isn't a faithful companion. It's more push, 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 whereas stuff like podcasting, blogging, video marketing, publishing a book. These are faithful companions, team. So I like the language Maria is using there. I like it so much that I desperately want you to produce a second show. And then she goes on to suggest a sponsor who would be in conflict with Net Registry. So I can't do that. But I did. I have spoken uh, the last uh, a few episodes ago about putting out a second episode a week, and I am still working on that. It may well be a listener question and answer show, but uh, just talking to a couple of potential sponsors at the moment, and that is kind of happening in the background. Stay tuned for more on that. Righto team, nearly at the end of episode 188. Do join the forum. I'd love to see you in there. The price on the forum is going up very, very soon. You can lock it in forever at the price of a dollar for the first seven days and then 49 bucks a month forever after. Big thanks to Net Registry for making this show possible. They help you get your online marketing sorted and to swiftly. Small design fixes done fast. Got some very interesting guests coming up, working on some interesting guests and got some locked in. Trying to get the Wolf of Wall Street on the show, Jordan Belfort, to talk about his straight selling technique. Uh, I have an interview coming up with Karen Jacobson, also known as Siri, the voice of Siri. Can you believe that? I've got David Rain. XTV personality, A-list celebrity who has now entered the real estate market and plenty more. So hang around for that in the coming weeks. We have got some great shows. I'm Timbo Reed, and you've been smart enough to tune in to the world's number one small business marketing show. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Small Business Big Marketing Show with Tim Reed. Want more marketing goodness? Then visit smallbusinessbigmarketing.com.